So as we enter the week of Durga festivals, we see that much has been happening on the western borders of India, very significantly, along predictable lines, which Mother has foreseen long back. So I thought we'll share few things about the great and mighty goddess Durga. Of course, mother's experiences with her and the role she has played and continues to play. She is one of those goddesses who continues to play a significant role even for the future. We shall see how. Of course, she is a very ancient goddess. We read about Lord Rama invoking her Shakti before going for Ravana and Sri Krishna advising Arjuna to invoke her power before he fights the battle. Such is her significance. And there are many, many legends associated with her. She is born to destroy and contain the adversary. This is the rationale of her birth. All the strengths of all the gods combine in her. But, um, I mean, modernists, of course, see a very different meaning, which is also very interesting. So when people speak about India and the context and, and women in India, then we have the great ideal of Durga. She is unmarried, she is beautiful, and she is strong. It's a rare combination. Beauty with strength, not beauty with fragility. This is a very ancient Indian ideal. She is Shakti. And none can marry her. This is the power of Durga. Nevertheless, there are countless legends of Durga and uh, it's very hard, difficult to choose. But suddenly, uh, two days back, I came across a story of Durga which I had not known. (laughs) But the beauty of this story is that it connects us to the Divine Mother. So I thought I'll share this story. Some of us may or may not have heard. But the story owes its origin to a goddess known as Hinglaj. Now, uh, Hinglaj, as a form of Durga, comes in Durga Chalisha. Those who have read the Durga Chalisha know its name, Hinglaj Metumi Bhavani. But few of us would know that Hinglaj is actually in Pakistan. It's in Baluchistan. To be more precise, uh, putting it in context, in today's context. And it's that aspect of the Divine Mother when Sati was, when Shiva was roaming with Sati's body all across the quarters, filled with grief for a world that had rejected Shakti. That's why she was grief. It's not an ordinary human grief. It's a grief that this world is not ready for Shakti. And she has to sacrifice herself again and again. So then Vishnu sees that if this continues, then life will stop, love will stop. Everything will come to a standstill. So Vishnu starts destroying the body of Sati. It's a very symbolic story and different parts of Sati fall in different quarters of the Indian subcontinent. And that becomes the first spiritual map of India. It's literally a spiritual map because it measures the different portions of India. And the head of Sati falls in this place in Baluchistan. Which, where she is known as Hinglaj Devi because it comes from the word Hingula. It's a, it's a stone, it's not, there is no form of the goddess. 
which is always, uh, you know, they put Sindur over it. So that's how the, the name comes, Singlaj. There are many legends otherwise also with this name. One of them is that there are two Chinese Mongols kings, very cruel and tyrant. And their names are Sundar and Higla. And one of them is killed by Durga. And they then he, this other uh, king asked for an impossible boon that I should not be killed uh, any place where there is light, only in a pl- place I should be killed where there is no light and no creature should be able to kill me who is born. Now Durga has these two qualities. One, she is, uh, she is not really born in the sense of the word. She doesn't have a birth. She is the power of all the gods and goddesses coming together. And his condition that nobody should kill me in light is very interesting because it means that I only somebody who can enter into the womb of darkness and slay me in my own den where I have all my powers because you know that's what it means in light he cannot be killed so that means he will retreat into darkness who can kill in darkness where all the powers of darkness are its full blown so this aspect of Durga goes and destroys him in a cave so that cave is still there in Baluchistan where Durga and it's a very interesting place because we know I mean Baluch's are Muslims who are secular Muslims. They don't believe in burqa, they don't believe in many of the traditional Muslim things. They are like mystics, Sufi mystics. They believe they belong to the Indus Valley civilizations and their um, relation with India is very old. So it's a very interesting group of people. We must be seeing them on the television now. Now we have become aware. But they've been seeking freedom for their culture. They believe in love, they believe in music, poetry, etc. And uh, so, uh, in Baluchistan, where this temple is there, it is still safe and protected because the Muslims and the Hindus, whatever few Hindus are left after the ethnic cleansing, they both go there to pray. The Muslims go there to pray as well as the Hindus. So, it's a very interesting place. And then this trail connects us. How this trail connects us? So, this is also a place where Lord Rama has gone after killing Ravana because... Hingla's Devi is supposed to be a redeemer of all sins. He purifies. So Rama goes there after killing Ravana because Ravana is a Brahmin. And Parshurama also goes there because all the Kshatriyas, they pray to her that, you know, we'll be destroyed. So she converts them into Brahma Kshatriyas. So they are converted. <laughs> so Parshuram cannot destroy them. So it's, she's already connected to, uh, you know, she's a very ancient goddess. But the interesting part which connects us to our modern civilization is that there is an emanation of her who is known as Thanod Devi in um, Rajasthan. She is worshipped as Thanod Devi. It's a very small place near border on the Jaisalmer. Now, there are two very interesting stories about her. In 1965, it's a very strategically located area and an area where um, Pakistani army has a great advantage. You know, it's all desert. So if they push through, they push through. So in 65, they pushed through this area and the soldiers didn't know what to do. So it was a surprise. And that time, military is very different from today. And, you know, Pakistan backed by America and China. India had hardly any ally. So at that point of time, these soldiers who were surrounded from two sides because they came from two flanks, proper armored corps, and they didn't know what to do. And they knew that, you know, it's inevitable uh, massacre. And so they rushed into the temple. And they prayed. There there was one major jazzing. And some of these soldiers had a dream of uh, 
this goddess who said, I will protect all of you, don't worry. Now, the interesting part is that the Pakistani army fired 3,000 shells in and around that temple and most of the shells didn't burst. 450 shells actually falling on the temple didn't burst. They are kept in the temple museum as a specimen. They are live cells which has not burst. It's a strange story. It relates to 1960 war and the story testified. Uh, it's not something which is just out of, you know, uh, people have created it. They, those shells are still there. And so much so that the Pakistani brigadier, Sahanawaz Khan, he was surprised at how it happened. So she crossed the borders later on. He went to pay homage that who is this goddess who protected you all? Absolutely out of the blues. They never expected so they kept shelling and the shells would just not burst, giving a big advantage to this, uh, this side of the border to ultimately defeat. Then second time, again in 71, something interesting happened. Um, we must be knowing uh, the battle of Longewala. We, may not, we not, may not know the battle, but we must be knowing the film border, which was made on this particular event. It's a, it's a most strategic battle which is documented in war histories. So it's a famous battle because India was all concentrated on the Eastern Front. We know mother's role in 71 war, this 1971. So the Pakistani army followed what Ayub Khan had long back told them that, you know, if you want to save the East, then push yourself with all your might on the West. Because if you capture Indian territories, then you can negotiate later. This was in their mind. So they planned an attack. India's concentration was on the east and they thought Pakistanis would fight on the east and they suddenly made a massive build-up to again enter through this area, Jaisalmer, overnight and go right up to Jaisalmer and far and deep. And Indians were unprepared, not like today. 62, 65, even 71, we were very unprepared. Times have changed now. So then... You know, they, they started coming with hundreds of tanks, armored tanks and artillery gun. And imagine they were just about 120 Indians with some machine guns, one rocket launcher and one major, Kuldeep Singh. He was the person, Chandpuri is very well known, got Mahavir Chakra later. So when he informed his brigade that, you know, we are caught in this, what do we do? So he said, run, run away from there. You can't survive. So he had to make a choice. Either to run away on foot, because they didn't even have vehicles to run away. Or to face the onslaught. So he decided to stay on and fight. Now this is a fight where defeat is certain. They attacked at midnight. And till morning, they can have no reinforcement, not even air force. Because now we have high-tech air force, which can fly through night, but those days, the aircrafts did not have the capacity to fight at night. At least India didn't have. They were the old-time hunters. They can fly only during dawn, not before that. So they had no choice, no chance of winning. But as these tanks started coming, again, one miracle after another started happening. To start with, they suddenly, whatever little firing they received from this side, some resistance, they thought, let us go through another route. This came into their mind, which was very stupid. If they continued on their route, they would have overrun. So they went into a 
route through the desert where many of their tanks got stuck. <laughs> so now, they didn't know what to do. And they were carrying some petrol tanks to take them right up to uh, Jaisalmer. And these petrol tanks caught fire. So now they became sitting targets. In that fire, everything was seen. So whatever few people were there on the Indian side, they kept firing. Now they can't move their tanks. They are firing shells. With much difficulty, some of the tanks came near the right near the place where these people were there. They had three fences of barbed wire. Nothing else. And these people thought they must be having landmines beyond it. In fact, there were no landmines. So they didn't advance. For two hours, they waited for their landmine experts to come. Who started digging the soil at the end, found nothing. By the time it was dawn break. And as we must have seen in the movie, the moment dawn breaks, Air Force attacked. They were all sitting ducks. And casualties were such that 200 men died from the Pakistani side. 34 tanks destroyed. Many abandoned. They all ran away. And from Indian side, there were only two soldiers who died. In border, they have exaggerated. Actually, only two soldiers died and one rocket launcher jeep was destroyed. This was the only casualty. And this again, they uh, say that it was because of Thanot Mata, because that temple is just, she's the guardian deity of that place. So they believe that this second time, this miracle took place because of her. But at the same time, something very interesting was happening in 71. And that's how the link to Divine Mother. Obviously, they prayed and they felt that it is uh, because of her they are saved. So, on the other hand, much before the, three months before the war started in 71, uh, actually six months before, our then Prime Minister wanted the battle to happen. But that time Field Marshal Manikshaw, he said, General Manikshaw, he said, no, we are not ready for it. So there were a lot of tussle and eventually she said, no, you have to fight the battle. And they were not ready. So General Tiwari, who had died 10 days back, some of us may know, may not know. And we know that he was a devotee, he was in Noroville, his whole family is in Noroville. And he writes in his memoirs that I was sitting with a heavy head in Eastern Command because you know, he has been given orders to fight with no preparedness. Very little preparedness. Because we should not forget at that time, Pakistan was completely backed by America. Things have changed. Uh, even, in fact, America has, had sent the 7th fleet to take care if India attacks. Then the 7th fleet would come into action. America was completely against India. And mother speaks of that. She says, America is still under the grip of the adverse forces. And I am waiting for conversion of America, which must happen. Today we see a reverse turnaround scenario, but those days. So he doesn't know what to do. So he was, he writes in his memoirs that I was sitting with a heavy head and one of my subordinate, one lieutenant colonel asked me, sir, what has happened? Why are you so serious? This is not your normal nature. So he said, I can't share with you because it's a top secret thing. But I must tell you, because in these situations, even the senior officers don't know. So he says, but you know what, uh, I've been asked to do something for which I have no resources, no means. I don't know how to do it, but I have to do it. So this lieutenant colonel who was a devotee of Mother and Shirobindu, he told him, why don't you write to the mother of Shirobindu Ashram Pondicherry all your problems? <laughs> and it will be taken care of. 
so he was uh, what you are saying right to mother in shirobindo ashram pondicherry and he was reluctantly he wrote and he received a blessing packet from the ashram later on he came to know that many persons were advised the same thing because everybody was in stress nobody knew how to fight this war and all of them received blessing packet like in kargil war some 30000 blessing packets had gone from here so all of them received blessing packets and they fought the war against such heavy odds so this i have already spoken of 71 and on the western border and during that time on 3rd december night of longewala battle where hostilities broke out and also on the eastern front a sadika saw a dream where she saw that plenty of indian soldiers were marching to the front and they were all wearing mother's face they were all having mother's face she had not known about the war she didn't know like you know many people here we don't know what's happening in the world so she didn't know but she saw this war and she told the, about this to the mother and mother just smiled and then for the next 14 days she would go more and more into trance whenever the disciple will ask something he, she would say you know this war is very absorbing i am constantly drawn there i am constantly drawn there she had so many times and it was a clear intervention which he write that why 95000 soldiers surrendered nobody knows till date it's a mystery because indians would have definitely lost if the war would have taken place but the war did not take place and they surrendered so nobody knows why this happened nobody knows in 62 war why the chinese went back they had come so far and deep and the mother said they were more receptive i must say she says i must say they were more receptive so to indians he was giving them courage fight fight but to chinese he was saying go back go back and they heard her so they turned back and went away Un- unexpectedly <laughs> no one knows why <laughs> and she was constantly behind these three wars 62 65 of course she took a lot of brunt on the ashram itself but in another way 65 the ashram was attacked like 48 so and 71 all these wars where mother intervened but through forms of durga and people thought that you know some knew that it is the mother's intervention in fact 71 she wanted india to continue and finish the war but it didn't and then right on 18th december 71 the disciple asked the mother oh it didn't happen again so that means there will be another war mother says no it won't be necessary it won't happen through battle 18 december itself she says she says pakistan will split into different parts they will ask for freedom and ask for unity with india now after nearly 65 war 50 years are over 71 45 years and now we can see that conversion of america this splitting how a word spoken at that point of time something foreseen we can see the first stirrings of it already happening so it was a very interesting story which i thought we can you know share before we go into certain things which mother has spoken about durga of course shirobindo has mentioned that durga is a power that combines maheshwari and mahakali's power maheshwari has the power of purity mother speaks of that the white light she says i had it from childhood but i always used to think it is coming from somewhere and i can call it at will and it it can dissolve the utmost bad will 
she says that that this white light can dissolve the utmost bad will and uh, uh, madam theon first time told her it's your own light <laughs> it's your own light uh, you have that in her then shorbindo told her it is maheshwari's light but she knew it always that she could call it and she would tell the disciple that whenever you are afraid put this cocoon of white light around you no bad will can enter it so but yet she can be very distant whereas mahakali can be too formidable and terrible she can put fear even in the gods not only the titans but durga combines the formidable aspect of mahakali but also the calming and light the knowledge aspect of maheshwari so shubindo says she is the mother's power of protection who combines both these aspects the power of victory and protection this is a very interesting we know shubindo's famous hymn to durga and the mother has declared she is the guarding guardian deity of india she is she is the she guards indian borders so but there is a prayer of mother to durga it's a very interesting prayer it's in, it's in french and then in english so i won't read the french lest i spoil it the beautiful language with my <laughs> with my unprepared tongue but it's on october 9th 1915 59 1959 she writes durga and then she says you are my light my force and my joy you are my sovereign realization and then she adds two more prayers to the supreme lord o lord you are my peace my force my joy you are my sovereign realization and then a third one om supreme lord you are my light my force and my joy you are my sovereign realization and then mother declares when you invoke durga it is i you invoke through her when you invoke shiva it is i you invoke through him and in the final analysis to the supreme lord go all our prayers then mother does something very interesting so all the stories of durga we know countless stories including this one but there is a new chapter which is added to the legend of durga in vedas we see the gods evolve as humanity evolve god gods evolve durga for instance is pallas athene in the greeks greeks knew of durga but they call her as pallas athene she has a role even in the trojan war uh, she is the you know guardian deity of some of these great war heroes particularly um odysseus she is the guardian deity of odysseus who survives the war and returns uh, so um, these gods evolve from one form to another now what happens to them we read about ganesha we read about some of these gods so same thing about durga so mother says ask the disciple did did i tell you the story of durga so the disciple says you once told me that durga had surrendered the story mother had said in 1960 and this happened in 1959 so what she writes in 58 is very interesting she connects durga to the supreme and then mother says that's it she surrendered whom does durga surrender then mother explains that is to say she was perfectly independent in her movements and didn't feel the need to depend on anyone and that year 
And then she says, I don't remember the year. She used to come every year when I went downstairs for the puja darshan. Right from the time mother has been here, every year Durga would come and stay throughout the puja. I would go downstairs and she would come and stay there throughout all the pujas. And when she would give meditation, all these gods and goddesses will come and sit on the ledge where we see that uh, little terrace in front and the ledge, so all these gods and goddesses would come and sit there. But Durga would come during puja days. Since I came upstairs, we haven't been doing it anymore. But once she came and I told you what followed, she surrendered. Now this experience she narrates elsewhere that suddenly she became one with the mother and she suddenly discovered the joy of surrendering to the Supreme. She had not surrendered ever because they act spontaneously, turn towards the divine, just becoming transmitters of divine will. And then mother says, but it has made an enormous difference. People naturally didn't notice anything, no one. But it has made an enormous difference in the atmosphere. So now these days have a different meaning. Let me just read a little portion of this surrender part. This is in 1960. And mother says that since she, in this incarnation, she has been calling, doing this. She says... Last time I went down for the pujas, yet it was, yes, it was the year before last in 60, after that anniversary. Durga used to come everywhere, every year, two or three days before the Durga puja. I was walking as usual and she came. That was when she made her surrender to the Supreme. These divinities don't have the sense of surrender. Divinities such as Durga and the Greek gods. But the Greek gods are a bit dated now. But the gods of India are still very much alive. Well, they are embodiments, almost localizations of something eternal. But they lack the sense of surrender to the Supreme. And while I was walking, Durga was there. Really, it was beautiful. Durga, with that awesome power of hers, forever bringing the adverse forces to heal and she surrendered to the Supreme to the point of no longer even recognizing the adverse forces. So much later when mother would say, when she would see some adverse forces around, she would playfully ask Durga, don't you want to do something about it? And Durga says, what can I do? I see the divine everywhere now. (laughs) But there is some other work she is doing that mother will reveal to us. So she doesn't even recognize now the adverse forces. She has surrendered to the Supreme with that awesome power. To the point of no longer even recognizing the adverse forces. All is the Supreme. It was like a widening of her consciousness. Some interesting things have been happening in that world. How can I explain? These beings have an independence and absolute freedom of movement. Although at the same time they are all a single being, but they had the true sense of perfect unity with the Supreme Consciousness. This is what we find in the Puranas. Each God is regarded as the Supreme. See, if somebody reads the Purana, one will wonder, what does it mean? Because each is in unity with the Supreme. 
each knows that it is a part of the supreme and it is absolute in its own right if you go to this god you cannot bypass it's like absolute in its own right but if you go to another that other god is also absolute this you know some of these formidable divinities and now with this present incarnation mother points towards herself with this incarnation and the establishment of the consciousness here like this mother makes a fist in such an absolute way here on earth in the terrestrial atmosphere this incarnation has a radiating action throughout all these worlds all these universes all those entities and it results in small events such as durga's surrender which in themselves are quite interesting so it's a totally new mode of action which has started because otherwise what she wants is a different game plan what durga does when she comes these adverse forces are pushed away they hide in their corners and when the light withdraws because human consciousness cannot sustain that light they come back again that's why we see in the history some vibhutis of the divine mother when they come everything clears up then after a while when he is gone child or grandchild and everything comes back again so mother knows this plan she want doesn't want that she wants something else so the disciple asks what is the difference a difference in what sense durga has surrendered to you so what is the difference to us mother says all those who do the puja sincerely sincerely of course not mechanically but with devotion always attract an emanation or a representation a representative form which is present at the puja and responds it responds to the puja every family that worships kali for instance has its own kali so we read about hinglaj and thanot mata is the same thing because something of an emanation of her is there so when i say it makes a big difference it's because now in a general way all those representations of durga are themselves also in a movement of collaboration so now we understand that when 65 and 71 happened all these forms collaborated it is the divine mother's plan that this is how it should be and all these forms have collaborated in the action and how someone has seen durga and another disciple has seen all the soldiers having the face of the mother because they are now collaborating in this work these ones naturally all those entities were more or less spontaneously doing the supreme's work but without their having a conscious will they did it simply and spontaneously because they were beings of harmony working harmoniously but now in durga's case it's very clear very clear she is like this turned towards the supreme in a relation with the hostile beings in a legendary early battle she is like this eager to know the direction and every year she used to come and tell shurbindo and shivindu would tell the mother which aspect of adverse forces he is going to conquer this year so this was an annual thing and she would be present throughout this she would come i don't know but i remember it happened while i was walking for my japa i told her there was something more important 
than that semi-religious recollection people have that what was more important was the deeper nature of the work and the choice of the adverse forces. So this is where we see that her role changes. Now, she had an instinctive, the moment adverse forces, she would go and attack. Now the mother tells her, you have to now choose in a different way. There is a wider game plan. And one of the things which she reveals is that you fight the way these adverse forces have taken hold of the human consciousness. So it's not enough to pick up a human being or some of the human beings. Well, it's important at a given point of time. But that is patchwork. So she asked Durga to do the real work. Human beings are confined in small states. Can you liberate them from that? And mother speaks much later in 69, as if Durga comes to demonstrate. When she says, okay, I'll do that. So suddenly mother feels that she is closed in a small little container. She finds it very stifling on Durga Puja day. And she says, what are you doing today? And then suddenly it bursts. She says, ah, that's good. So her nature of work changes. It's no more adverse forces outside people. But she is working on states of consciousness within us. And she liberates us from obscure states, dark states, tamasic states. So her action has changed because of this work. And mother says people don't notice it. But that's what was so interesting this morning. Once these divine egos have abdicated and to the extent of that abdication, it will mean an extraordinary transformation in the creation. It was like a vision taking shape slowly, almost with pictures, as if I saw the whole earth and the picture of Durga and the two together, the earth in her arms. So we see the same thing happening now with Shiva. We have heard stories of Shiva destroying demons. And when for the supramental creation, Shiva asked, what do you want me to do? I am the destroyer. So mother says, destroy the egos, particularly the physical ego, because it's the most hard, most resistance. He says, all right. So he begins to destroy. And mother suddenly goes and tells Shiva I have a funny feeling, all my body cells are scattering everywhere. And Shiva instantly knows and says, not yet, the time has not yet come. So Shiva's action is halted. And she says, after three decades, this was fulfilled, because the time had not come. And then, of course, Mother adds, the Lord makes use of everything. He makes use of everything. How he has used the gods, how he has used the adversaries, everything. And that we can see now, even in the present context. I almost felt like writing a little blog post or a, you know, nowadays we have Twitter, that thanks to the terrorists across the border, India will become united. Because only two things unite us, cricket match and the war. So, <laughs> we may have hundred differences, we will get united because they will do this work. By challenging and everything, they will awaken once again the Shatra Tej, which is lying dormant in the nation. So, Lord uses everything. He says, okay, you say. But if Durga were in her previous state, she would go and strike a blow. But Lord will tell her, wait, I'll tell you when to strike a blow. Let that continue for some time and then the time will come. And today we see how it, she has worked very differently because we can see the world opinions changing, the blinders before nations falling down. Russia is openly coming in support of India. 
America has turned a blind eye. Such things are happening. Surely this is part of a action at a cosmic level. And then of course, uh, mother speaks of another incidence in 68. Oh, the other day on Durga's day, I went over to the music room. Last year I had, she says I have spoken about her surrender. This time I went there. And as soon as I entered the room, I felt there was something, an impending attack. The mother enters the room and feels that. So I sat down, kept very still and called the Lord as usual. So he could fill the room with his light. This mother's action. <laughs> she would not, uh, oh, she can easily, you know, finish. But she doesn't do that. She just calls the Lord to fill everything with light. And it was she who came in a golden light. Durga came. She calls the Lord to fill with her, his light. But now Durga is identified with the divine. She is participating in the supramental creation. So see, mother gives us a darshan of Durga. She who came in a golden light. A glory of adoration and consecration. She stood there, immense gesture. It was magnificent, magnificent. And the whole morning was very good. Then the disciple asked, Couldn't you strike at these people a little? So mother says, I can't strike. Mother opens her arms. <laughs> I can't strike. I no longer can. I smile at them. Come, come, what's the use? Durga too, I have taught her not to strike. <laughs> so, so Durga also comes and sees the divine in all of them. So this is the beauty and mother describes that how in one of her visions, how she sees Durga. She sees her as, she says people have made all these forms of her, but she, she doesn't have a form. She's just a column of light. It's a very powerful and intense light. If you see her in her original inception, she's just a column of light. But she can project any form as she likes. Now, of course, we know of the, like golden Krishna, we now know that Durga also has a golden form, the golden Durga. So we'll stop here.